0: Super excited for this new episode interviewing my colleague Kevin Fagan. A few quick things first, though. This episode has an explicit warning and very much earns it in the second half. There's some profanity and very honest talk about a homeless sex worker. Second, Kevin talks more about the Chronicles homelessness project with managing editor Damien Bulwa on today's Fifth and Mission podcast. Please listen and subscribe to our flagship podcast if you're not already. And finally, this is, I think, the fifth podcast in a row that my dog Ripley has interrupted us. I'm not even cutting it out anymore. It's my pandemic reality. Kevin Fagan coming up.
1: From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle.
0: Welcome to Total SF in Exile, and welcome back, Kevin Fagan. You were just on to talk about David Perlman. Today I want to talk about you, Kevin. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you've got a big project coming up, and let's start there. Um, it's a homelessness project. Um, it'll probably be out when this is out. How long have you been working on this, and what are some things that uh, our readers and listeners are, are going to be able to to learn from this?
1: Well, I've been working on this one for a couple of months. Uh, usually we take a little longer to get to it, but we're in the middle of, of an economic and a, a virus crisis, so... Uh, I wasn't even sure we were going to do it this year. This is the fifth year in a row we've done the SF Homeless Project. And mm-hmm. Audrey Cooper conceived this thing five years ago to enlist everyone in the Bay Area into reporting on homelessness. This year it's just us at the Chronicle. And I love doing this because I, I love working in teams. At, 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 you know, at the Chronicle and in most newsrooms, you got a bunch of smart people who care. They want to make life better. And they just it it's it's wonderful to dive into this with them. You got Trisha Thadani doing a story on mental health, uh and the the shortfalls and trying to help the mentally ill on the street. You have Jill Tucker looking at uh, homelessness explosions in the suburbs. Uh you got Lizzie Johnson looking at seniors. It, it's a whole week of, of coverage. Uh and I I open up the series with an overview uh looking at uh, what's what we're seeing ahead in the virus crisis uh, for homelessness. I talked to everyone from President Trump's homeless czar down to uh, the homeless folks in the street um, it, to get a, a, a spread of what people think is up ahead for us. And there's a lot of bad. There's also some signs of hope. And uh, I'm hoping that after a, a week of coverage, people will get a better understanding of where we're at with homelessness in this crisis and what kind of uh, signs of hope you can see up ahead. That's always important. Yeah. You don't want to just depress the hell out of everyone.
0: Well, another thing I think about, Kevin, every time you jump on one of these projects is your music. And your music is such a huge part of who you are. Um, the Irish Newsboys is kind of a high-profile band we all know in the newsroom. It's you, Steve Rubenstein, a few other lights, and... Ran- randomly almost, Barry Melton <laughs> from <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Country Joe and the Fish. <laughs> and uh, Peter Alvin, bassist from Big Brother and the Holding Company. Uh, people come in and out. You play, that's fantastic. You play anytime someone's leaving the Chronicle, you have a very entertaining and generally R rated tribute song. But you've also written some songs about uh, homelessness.
2: But from all that I've seen of what's in between, the ones who need most get the least, but they'll sing hallelujah.
0: I'm hoping you can share a few of those today I'm hoping we can talk a little bit And then share a couple of the songs you've written about homelessness um, And uh, how are you feeling about that?
1: Oh, I'd, I'd love to do that And thank you for being interested I appreciate it It is, it is a very much a part of who I am And, and, and thank you for, for this
0: Yeah, well, thank you um, I'm really looking forward to sharing these with the audience I'm Peter Hartlob, here with Kevin Fagan And this is Total SF Welcome back to Total SF, Kevin Fagan, and um, we're apart in our homes here. I'm looking at you right now. I went with the beard for the pandemic. You went with uh, you're growing your hair out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I've, I can't go get a haircut. I mean, I, I used to have hair down, uh, you know, past my shoulders in the old days, but it's it's kind of heading there now. But uh, I like your beard; it's a good look. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I
0: see you brought up the old days, and that's one reason that I have you here. I have heard so many kind of snippets of your life, and they're <laughs> all super interesting because, in addition to being on our Homeless beat and covering some incredible things at the Chronicle over the years, the Zodiac beat, you know. You also uh, have had a really interesting life as a musician, um, and uh, and then it kind of ties into your Homeless beat in an interesting way, and I just think it's a great time to discuss it with this big Homeless project coming up. So are you in? Are you ready to go down memory lane? I'm there, baby. So, so Kevin, what started first, the journalism or the music? Um, I'm kind of wondering what your teen years were like and if there were any seeds of any of this back then.
1: Well, it was, yeah, uh, it was it, uh, it was a suburban life. I lived all over the, the West, California, Nevada, when I was a kid. My dad was going to school. Uh, so, of course, going to school with three kids, you're poor. Um, and... I got a taste of what it's like not to have enough food in the house and, you know, wearing, you know, worn out clothes and hand-me-downs and whatnot, which a lot of kids do. Uh, uh, but when I was 14, I got on the school newspaper in Livermore. And that was it. My, my what, mom, was, what was
0: the name of the Livermore school newspaper? Because oh, they're
1: always good. El Vaquero. El Vaquero. Yes, <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> the Cowboys was the emblem yeah, for the school. Yeah. Uh, and my mom had been a navy journalist a journalist in the navy uh posted at oak knoll and that was the highlight of her her life you know in in many ways she just absolutely loved it used to tell me you got to be a journalist it's uh it's the best job in the world and she would tell me stories of covering the korean war and one in particular where she interviewed prisoners of war who had to uh pluck their gangrenous toes out of their feet so they could escape in the snow, and it stunk, and they got to, to you know, freedom, and they were bloody, and my mom interviewed me and I thought, that's the kind of story I want to do. That, so, that
0: sounds like a Kevin Fagan lead right there, gangrenous, <laughs> you know, if there's an abscess involved. I, uh, oh, yeah, so, it, was, it was pretty foul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Livermore, like, I'm thinking, you know, because I was on my school newspaper, I drew the comic. And for me, no, it was kind of about sticking it to the man. I mean, that was sort yeah. of my
1: central objective. What What was your early journalism career like? Well, as a freshman in high school, I got on the paper and it hooked me immediately. What I liked was going to see life around me and, and talking to people. It was your passport to talking to anyone, the cool kids, which I was not. I was kind of a book nerd with you know broken glasses and flood pants. Uh, it, but I could... I could go talk to anyone, and I loved that. And then helping uh, make sense of our little enclosed student world, I liked that. Um, sticking it to the man—that's always a, a, a thing to do. Uh, it, it, that didn't draw me the most, though. I, I wanted to make things better by helping people understand them. And yeah. man, that—that that stuck with me. You know, that—that that has always stuck with me. I love that. I you
0: know being sort of feeling disenfranchised and then having control of information and being the person who who knows things mm. that's kind of what got me into it. I I I remember I don't remember the point where I wanted to be a journalist, but I remember the point where the rush started and it was when Ronald Reagan was shot. Oh yeah. I was at this school for gifted youngsters but I got in cuz my sister got in before me. I was like a legacy. So I was ah, like a humble guy. No, humble I guy. felt like like I, there were kids who were programming computers at age 12 and I like uh. felt like I knew nothing. But they stuck me in front of this radio and told me run and tell the classroom teachers updates. That was my job to listen mm. to the radio, take notes and run and tell them updates. And I remember feeling so important and powerful at a time when i never felt like that um just running in and being the person with the information and even though like a lot of my beats now don't you know aren't hard news that's still kind of what i feel like like i've got a story to tell that other people don't have so i'm sorry we're talking about me too much for this podcast you've done hard news though
1: yeah it's all right i remember you as hard news good hard (laughs) news guy
0: Yes. So that, that, was a, that was a good time for you. What about, um, you know, beyond that? Um, how did you feel in school? How did you feel about where you wanted to go in your life? Did you have kind of a clear vision, or, or were you not sure?
1: Uh, I was a little not sure. Uh, you know, like a lot of kids, my parents got divorced right about the time I got on the school mm-hmm. paper. Things did not work out well. Uh, uh, I, uh, I left home when I was 16. Uh, before I took... SATs before I graduated. Essentially, I I took a whole batch of classes. I loved school. I always have. Uh, I took a bunch of classes and graduated uh, more than a year early. Uh, Mm -hmm. Picked up my diploma at the school office and then took off for Hayward because that's where the community college was. And I figured, well, I can go there for free. And I wound up sleeping in a field for a while uh uh found a garage that this family rented me on the condition that I helped build it into a room, which I did and that was fun. And then I cleaned houses at night. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, when I was sleeping in the field, I thought I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this and do something like pumping gas for the rest of my life. I want to be a writer. I want to be a journalist. That head stuck. So mm-hmm. Chabot College, I was on the school paper uh, after a year of that, or you know, close, coming to the end of the first year, I thought, well, I've got to go to a four-year college. I, I want the real deal, the big deal. So I went to San Jose State, and it was on the school paper there. Loved it. Uh, the, the, the story that sticks for me was um, there were a lot of hookers and drug dealers and homeless people downtown. I loved that. Uh, Hold on just a second. The sure. dog's
0: barking again.
1: So I got to San Jose State and I got on the school paper, loved it. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I worked three jobs. Like a lot of state college kids, you're, you're you're really working a lot in addition to the school. And I loved the school. But I carved out this story for myself where uh, I spent all night in downtown San Jose, which at the time was, shall we say, gritty <laughs> drug dealers, hookers. Uh, what we called winos back then, um, and I I hung out in the Jack in the Box where guys got mugged, uh, people were shooting up. It was um, it was wonderful. I, it just fascinated me, and I thought this this is a side of life I can understand. Uh, having slept outside, I can ma- help make sense of it, and helping make sense of it can help me understand what I've done, what I've come through, what. You know, what can be done to help people like that? So I dug it. And uh, when I got out of college, I, um, well, I was, I became a musician in college to help pay the bills. You know, you do gigs at cafes and bars, Mm. uh, which was good. Unfortunately, it doesn't pay a whole hell of a lot more now than it did then. (laughs) But it was, it was a great way. And so I figured, okay, I can, I can do this uh, to travel and I want to be a journalist. So after after I graduated, I I had saved up enough money to get to Europe. So I thought I'm going to go spend a year, so I took a guitar and a backpack and I busked all over Europe, Germany, so, France. Yeah.
0: Were you playing covers? Were you playing originals? A little bit of a mix? Give, give me the visual here.
1: Oh, I had it, it was covers. I I'd, I'd written a couple of whiny originals, you know, about failed love. <laughs> At the yeah. time, those don't go over so we, well on the street. We knew so much in those years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so wise, so wise. Yeah. Uh, and 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 boy, I'll tell you, I uh, I traveled for a while, then I got to London, and I had pulled a work permit out of uh, college before I left. Um, and a friend of mine, and actually an old girlfriend, had wound up at the BBC doing rewrite. And I got a hold of her, and you know, we met at wherever the hell we met, and uh, said, how you doing? And I I was working at the Hard Rock Cafe as a busboy, which was hilarious. Lots of mm-hmm. strange stuff happened there. She said, come on over. So I went over, I applied. I got a job at the BBC as a 20, maybe 21, I can't forget what I was, a year old. And it was terrific, because I worked three days on. And I had three days off, so three days off. I took to the subways. That I found out that you can make good bank in the subways playing music. Uh, you'd go in the morning and uh, uh, go to all the best places uh, there. to Spend about a half hour writing your name on the wall at what they'd call the pitch, because you pitch your mm-hmm. case down, and it was it was it was good. You could just long enough in the tunnel to to echo and people can hear you and decide if they want to give you money by the time they get to you and clink you know you get a pound or two or you know some pence. so you'd book like four or five maybe six pitches depending on how long you wanted to be and they honored it it was it was an honorable british it was very british and orderly (laughs) you know i was doing dylan and neil young and the beatles and then the next guy would come along and say right it's my turn now mate and i'd say uh Radio. <laughs> I'd go <laughs> off to the next one. And I'd come out of there with like, you know, three hundred bucks for what, after what year is this? This sounds so polite for any part of the world. Yeah, it was very polite. It was nineteen seventy nine and nineteen eighty. Nice. It was good for journalism because <laughs> you get drunks who come up and try and steal your money. You get people who come up and call you a scuzzy bum. You get the cops that come up and want to throw you off. You, you gotta you gotta handle them and handle them with a little bit of sugar except for the drunks that are trying to steal your stuff you tell them to screw off uh, but the uh, the cops had come up and say uh, you know you can't play here because there were signs all over the subway saying busking not allowed fine of a hundred pounds or whatever the hell it was and I'd uh, say well you know how about if I, I do a song for you tell me what you want <laughs> <laughs> and and they <laughs> They'd tell me I'd sing it. I guess it, you know, worked for them because I never got busted. Uh, one of the most significant things that happened to me in the subways, though, was uh, Ralph McTell came up one day. He's the guy that wrote this song called "The Streets of London," uh-huh. which is a beautiful song. It goes, uh, yeah, "Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. Then I'll show you something to make you understand. It's about poor people and homeless people in in London." way back then so he, he comes up and I'm playing some Dylan song and he says uh, you know I used to busk down here and I say you don't say really huh yeah you? and he says I wrote a song about it I said really hand him the guitar he sings this song I think Holy oh my god, god. Oh. <laughs> so I thought well I gotta learn that song now so oh. I've been singing that song ever since <laughs> <laughs> oh that's
0: awesome I mean why didn't you just stay there forever? You, you, you got oh. back to the Bay Area somehow.
1: Yeah, I would have loved to. I uh, You know, as young men are wont to do, I fell in love with a, a New Zealand girl. And uh-huh. we uh, uh, we took off and traveled around Ireland and, uh, it, you know, the north part of England and, um, you know, playing music. She would hold the hat, and she was pretty and blonde, so I made good money when she was holding the hat. <laughs> and uh, uh, then, you know, she, we thought, okay, let's go back and do some of our careers and so she went to Kiwi Land, and i came back here and i found a job at the lodi news sentinel uh, which a little little daily out in the in the valley i loved it it was just terrific it was you know you, you cover everything that moves it was the best practice i could have imagined i covered cops i was I hired as a police reporter so yeah. i covered cops and boy lodi had its action man I worked at the Santa Maria Times, Uh, so same
0: situation, agricultural, Uh small paper. Yes, and I remember at the end of my shift, like, like people would call, and we were the sports desk, so we were the only ones left there. And I didn't get my paper, and so I'd deliver papers at the end of my shift, like on the way home. (laughs) Like I'd have a couple papers I'd drop off. (laughs) It was, um, it gets you in touch with the reader in a way that you don't, you know. Oh boy, does it ever! A bigger paper,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. I, I used to like. I I used to say it was like pissing in a closet because everywhere you turn, it comes right back at you. Uh-huh. So you gotta try to make sure it <laughs> teaches you how to make sure you try to get it right and, yeah. and be respectful of your community, respectful of the people you're writing about. Yeah. So, so I did that for like a little more than a year, and then uh, uh, the Kiwi and I needed to be together, so I went to New Zealand, and uh-huh. I lived there for a year. Uh, I was you know i was stringing for upi which you know was a very now a small wire service back then it was a real competitor with ap but that paid crap so i picked up the guitar and uh i started playing downtown uh bars and and busking boy i made mean, every lunchtime i was the guy in the town square singing mm-hmm. This that and the other, and one day a guy named uh, Phil Royal shows up, and he's singing loud at one end, and I'm singing at the other end. We're trying to drown each other out, and he comes over and says, "You know, why don't we try something together, mate?" And we did. It fit immediately. We were, we've been a duet ever since. Wow, oh, uh, you're still in touch. Oh, he's, he's one of my best friends. Uh, <laughs> in fact, he he's, he he uh, he did one of my songs about ten years ago, God, uh, long ago, in uh, Australia on the on the radio because he's he's a pretty big touring act himself and uh it became a it's it's a it's a disgusting song i wrote it when i was 20 uh yeah. about you know abusing animals on the farm well in australia that <laughs> went over really big <laughs> it became a hit in the south of australia <laughs> and then i you know did journalism i i really I, I love playing music but i really love being a reporter and that's you- so i came back was it long before you got to the chronicle
0: and during this whole time were you were you interested in covering the homeless i mean was the homeless beat something that you had always sort of been touching on or did that come at the chronicle
1: oh yeah no it i, I did it at the, i did a bit of it in lodi when it was starting because uh, as soon as reagan got elected he started cutting social service programs he started seeing trickles of homeless people then yeah. i spent that time overseas and you know, when I was traveling as a street singer, I'd sleep in doorways and you know, in fields if if there was nowhere to. Go. I I didn't care. It was fun. You know, you put down your yeah you know, your your backpack and your guitar, and especially if the weather's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you know, outside was was not a mystery to me. Uh, but then when I came back, I wound up at the Oakland Tribune mm-hmm. uh, in 1985, and boy, Oakland Oakland had its share of uh, of, of Poverty and uh, homelessness, uh, racial struggle. It was it's a wonderful place to be a reporter. And in the mid '80s, it was owned by Bob Maynard. It was the only black publisher of a major metro in America, and we had a super diverse newsroom. I did, it's where I met my wife Carolyn. She was a reporter there. I became an editor there, uh, and then I fought my way back to being reporting because I've been an editor. You know, in Lodi there and here. Uh, reporting is more fun. It's the most yeah. fun. So when the 1989 earthquake hit, it rattled thousands of people into homelessness. And that's when it really took over for me because I, I made that a, a, a beat. Mm-hmm. And I covered uh, what was being done to help homeless people and what was failing in helping homeless people and what was being done to help poor people just fascinated the hell out of me. Uh, and... When I got hired at the Chronicle in 92, I've, I continued that. I've always done homeless-based stories at the Chronicle, but also disasters and you know whatever the – I'm a general assignment guy uh, overall, but homelessness mm-hmm. is, is, is be, has been a thing for me the whole time. And then it, it hit another uh, hurdle, I guess if you were, in 2003 when uh, Robert Rosenthal, our managing editor at the time – uh, had just come into town from Philly, and he was appalled at the homeless issues here. And I'll tell you, before before then, uh, it had become a little tough to do a lot of homeless stories because people were kind of tired of it. Well, he said, ah, send a couple of your guys into the streets to do homelessness. So Brant Ward was this uh, gritty photographer. Uh, he and I had done some stuff. Uh, before, and he said, "Ah, put these two guys out on the streets." So we lived on the streets for six months. And it, it, the, mid, the the first day we were out, we he and I looked at each other and said, "Man, we don't want to do just a bunch of sad sack stories, you know, to, the, the the plight of the homeless. We want to figure out how to fix it." We'll be right back after this short break
0: So homelessness over all these years, what are you learning? Um, I can tell you don't get tired of it. you're a very empathetic person, but you're also i don't know if pragmatism is the word, but you know you're realistic about things and I'm wondering you know what kept you on the beat and what you've been learning over the years? How have things changed? how have they stayed
1: the same well there's there's been a sameness to it that's very depressing. In the, you know, decades ago, I would, I would talk to homeless advocates and they'd say, ah, it's all the Fed's fault. They, you know, Reagan cut the hell out of all the, the funding that helped poor people. Uh, and you would think, okay, well, you know, that's a, that's a macro answer to a micro question. You know, what are you going to do about housing people in your city, on your streets, uh, mm-hmm. into, into, you know, housing right where you are? I, over the years, I have come to understand they have a point. Uh, This is a country that has the worst split between rich and poor since the 1880s with the Gilded Age. And, uh, you know, as a a guy who became a reporter right in 1980, I've watched that evolution. And, you know, I I try not to sound like some activist or, you know, a a fist-waving, you know, protester of some kind. But, you know, we've been screwed the the working class as a guy who used to work for minimum freaking wage you know cleaning toilets and cutting sandwiches uh, that class I used to be able to afford an apartment cleaning toilets it's it's very hard to do that now um, it's uh, uh, the 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 money has gone to the top and the screw has gone to the bottom mm-hmm. and it's it's it, that's the, the, the nut of it right there if you can't make enough money as a, a, a low-income person uh, to have dignity and uh, be able to live bad things result uh, you know we have generations now of people who, who've gotten into drugs and and uh, you know bad behavior with their kids and uh, feeling hopeless and it, it's just self-perpetuating and there, what I like seeing is the the armies, the the armadas of people who are trying to help. Uh, to some extent, they're pushing against the tide, uh, but they do make inroads. And you know, when I look at San Francisco, which I have to concentrate on most, you see that there are hundreds of millions of dollars spent on the problem, and people whine that it's ah, why are you spending all the money on that? Why waste it on them? Just make them pull themselves up by their bootstraps homeless, especially chronically homeless people, can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps.
0: Kevin, I I think every time a project comes out um, and we have this big homeless project coming out, it'll be out, I think, by the time this podcast is out. um, And you're often at the center of it. um, One thing I think about when I read that is how little people know... Um, not just about your story, but about your music. Um, you continue to make music. Uh, you're in a very high-profile uh, newsroom band that has, happens to have a couple of you know, Woodstock-era legends who come in and play. Um, and you continue to write songs, and, um, you know, and, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today, too. Um, oh, thanks. You write songs, and you write songs about your job. Has um, that kind of always
1: gone on as you've been doing this? I do. I love it. For me, uh, at this point, um, being a middle-aged guy and written a lot of songs, hey, writing a, a, a song for me is, is like writing a, a story or, or a fiction or a poem. I do all of those things. It's an expression. And what's really cool about music is you get the the added uh, uh, you know the added thing of a melody on top. It's 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 mm-hmm. almost mystical how it, it can communicate in a very heartfelt way, and I love doing that. I've written songs for, you know, my wife, my daughter, uh, and the homeless folks uh, that I run into. I, I uh, uh, I've had some real uh, touching experiences with some of them. Um,
0: well, I'd like to you to introduce a couple of them and i have the tracks um so we're going to play a pre-recorded track but um uh the first one that i heard about someone who you met um during one of your your homelessness uh uh, stories that you were working on with brant um could you kind of introduce this and just tell me a little bit about how this happened
1: yeah uh it was uh in 2003 brant and i were starting our six months in the street and we were walking around and he saw what he thought was a a little girl walking down the street and he thought wow a kid you know she looked homeless and uh, she was so he went up to talk to her and she turned around and she was uh, uh she was a little person everyone on the street called her little bit or the midgy mm-hmm. uh, and uh she essentially turned her, she had this gras- raspy voice and was tough as nails and Brand said, Hey, I'm from the Chronicle. And she said, Fuck off <laughs> <laughs> immediately. And so he and I both went over there at some point. Turns out she was part of a little colony living on a traffic island at Mission and uh, uh, Van Es called Homeless Island. And there were about a, a dozen, all of them junkies, some of them street hookers, like a Little Bit, because she, she, uh, she sold herself on the street because uh, a lot of guys would drive in from the suburbs. They thought they were getting to uh, have sex with a kid, so they would hire her wow. for fifty bucks a bang. Wow. It was just, and we, you know, I watched several of those interactions happen. And she, uh, you know, is how she made money it was just tragic. She was addicted to crack and heroin, um, and you know, all her friends in the on the island were also crack and heroin addicts, and she just uh, she just broke our hearts Brant and I both just fell in love with who she and, and, and most of the islanders were some of them were really crusty characters they didn't want to have to do didn't want much to do with anyone but oh man they had all been someone's kid they all had hard lives little bit was abused as a kid thrown out early uh, and then as a, a little person had a hell of a life and she she the fact that she managed to to, to, to retain her, her strength and her dignity just really it, it just bowled me over in a bowled-over yeah. brand. He always called her Bit. Let's go see Bit on the island, he'd say. And we'd go uh, he'd go hang out. And one day when one we caught her a, I don't know, a year, it was one month. It was in the six months. We knew her for years, actually. Uh, but uh, in the six months, it was her birthday. So we went and got her a cake at Safeway and took it over there to the island and uh, she's got her shopping cart there and uh, we say hey a little bit happy happy birthday and she says grabs it and then clunk dumps it in the in the cart where it goes at a 45 degree angle and the whole cake goes (laughs) to the to the edge (laughs) then she goes off to score some crack so we're hanging out for a while and she comes back later and says uh, everyone else is by then collected and she says hey it's my birthday so they all come over uh, says look brant kevin got me a cake.' So she takes the top off this thing. It was like a flock of seagulls. I swear in like 30 seconds tops, it was gone in their hands and their mouths. It yeah. was it, it just done. And then it was back to panhandling and scoring heroin or whatever the hell they had ahead of them. Uh, and she, she was just, she was always crusty. And her first answer was always, you know, fuck off when, when she, when you try to talk. But as we got to know her, uh, uh, we would have these really uh, touching conversations and, and you know, because we were interested in what her real life was. And not a whole mm. lot of people were interested in her real life, past sex or drugs. And uh, she, there were moments when she'd cry talking about you know, hoeing. She'd say, hoeing is hard. You know, being a hoe is really, really sucks. And, yeah, it's uh, so. But early on, uh, when she really wasn't sharing much, um, I wrote this song about sitting on the sidewalk with her, trying to get her to talk to us. And I called it a Little Bit.
2: Little bit, come and tell me what you'd find. Tell it to me true and say it honest. I know you're feeling sick, you're feeling tired little bit come and say what's on your mind The dirt, the street, the walls and trees are empty But you don't even see them half the time Just twice a day the brown bag makes you better So when you're on your back you're Life that's flowing all around us but no one wants to hear you no one else can see so a little bit come and tell me what you find a little bit come and tell me what you see a little bit do you know what you see can you tell me what you see
0: Um, I think we have another one that is uh, homelessness-related. The day after,
1: day after Christmas, uh, I'm in another band called Finding Fable, uh, Laurie and Sam Hawk. Who, it's it's wonderful singing with them. The Irish Newsboys are we're a fun band. You know, it's got mm-hmm. Barry Melton and Peter Albin and these guys from Woodstock and, and, and wonderful guys. And home and 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 you know my newspaper pals. Well, uh, Sam and Laurie and I are three-part harmonies. Uh, and we do the, you know, the touching, empathetic songs, and uh, they hate my gross songs. They you know, <laughs> will not even listen to them, let alone yeah. play them. <laughs> so, so we uh, we did this song. Uh, we did an EP one year. Um, that was a few years back, where one of Lori's songs was on the. On the back it was a Christmas song, and then this, this incredibly depressing Christmas song of mine was on the the, the other side of the, of the, of the well these they're not sides these days. It was a two song EP, and we put it out, and this thing got played on a uh, uh, few stations in the um, in the Sierras, and oh KGO and you know, a couple of TV stations had us on to sing it, uh, nice. and I I appreciated I I loved that people wanted to hear about this, this problem. And I love, you hear Lori's song, Lori's voice on the thing and and boy, she's, she's a wonderful singer. And so Sam too. Sam's kind of the arranger and uh, uh, Lori's the thousand dollar voice uh, with the great harmonies. And we had a good time recording this one.
2: On the day after day, after Christmas, I was thinking of all that's gone bad. I was thinking of life and the journey And the times that we've never had Between fighting and crying, living and dying There's supposed to be laughter and peace But from all that I've seen of what's in between The ones who need most get the least but they'll sing hallelujah, hallelujah. It always starts out oh, so hopeful. It's all the presents and the cookies and cheer. We all say, I love you and how do you do? But then look back over the year. There's still millions without work Millions who are hurt And no sign of any relief And the ones who are in charge Well, they're living large and Don't care if we crawl or we breathe And they'll sing Hallelujah They'll sing Hi, Halle, Hi, Halle, Hallelujah. On the day after day after Christmas, when the orgy of gifts is long done, the well-wishing is over, the visits are over. We're through with what's supposed to be fun Next up is New Year And if we're still here Let's hope that there's laughter and peace But from all that I've seen Of what's in between Those who need the most will get the least Still they'll sing Hallelujah Hallelujah Yeah, they'll sing Halle, Halle, Hallelujah. Yeah, they'll sing Halle, Halle, Hallelujah.
0: Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing these stories and sharing your songs. Um, We're going to wish you farewell now, because you have like three deadlines today, I know. Um, but <laughs> but uh I, I just wanted to say, we're going to say goodbye, and then we're going to go through the usual outro, and I'm going to tell you to subscribe to The Chronicle, and then at the very end, I'm going to play a third song, A Place Like Home, which uh. is about newsrooms. Um That's what I got when I listened to it, and, and just about kind of the camaraderie of Journalism and and the Chronicle, and it touched me greatly. And uh, thanks for sharing that one too.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I, I'd love to. I wrote that one. For, wrote that one for Dave Perlman, our ninety-eight year old, you know, science writer who just passed away, over a hundred years old. And it's. I I think you feel the same way about newsrooms that I do. It's it's it really is a family. The family. The the word family gets overused, but you know we're. Uh, we're a unit and it's and you, you invest your heart in it, I, it really I miss
0: c- it right now and I hope we get back there I mean, oh, when this yeah. is all over I hope they didn't just tell us eh, everybody keep working at home I mean I love that part of it just you know a couple times a day I just do a lap around the newsroom you know like I'm a pool sweep just to kind of soak it in and see everybody and, and I hope Kevin that we can see each other like that again.
1: God I hope so too yeah
0: So thank you so much. And uh, again, keep listening, because at the end, uh, a third Kevin Fagan song's coming up here. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Kevin Fagan. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com pod.
2: Started out those years ago No way you'd ever know Through the crazy endless show To be a place that felt like home Cause home is where you get to be the most of who you are and When it's time to leave You hope that took you far Is in the mirror now you see Everyone you've come to be A healer, a guide, a scribe A poet with steel in your eyes
1: So take the good of what
2: you've seen And throw out all the rest Recall the times it all worked out Think of us at our best Cause when you started out alone, no way you could have known. You become a part of us and soul. You'll take us with you when you go, you'll take us with you.